horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right. Well, back here, and uh, we're heading into the second jewel of the Triple Crown. The Preakness Stakes is this week, and along with it are a slew of stakes races. Both tomorrow, the card's really good uh, at Pimlico tomorrow. A tough card, but laden with stakes races. And then, of course, as one would expect, the same thing on Preakness Day. I'm John Engelhardt, everybody. Thanks for joining us and uh, with us to help uh, ferret out some of these uh, really good stakes we're going to bring to you on Winning Ponies. will be none other than Daily Racing Forms, Matt Bernier, considered one of the top handicappers, certainly on their staff, and many people feel across the country when he was competing competitively uh, on the handicapping scene. I don't know if he's somewhat restricted now because of his position with the Daily Racing Form. I know he can't be any con- in any contests that are sponsored by them. And then uh, the guy who's uh, the uh, heartbeat of racing in the Mid-Atlantic, he's at Maryland, none other than Tom Lamara. So he's on top of the stories that are breaking in Baltimore. And he'll also give us insight. You've probably heard the rumors that the uh, the Preakness Stakes is going to be leaving um Pimlico and being moved to uh, Laurel. Uh, hey, no better guy than Tom Lamaro to give us the inside track on that. So that's the look at our guests. Now, at Winning Ponies, everybody likes the word free, and we're having a free Preakness contest pretty much up to an hour before the race goes off on Saturday. So just go over to winningponies.com. Top prize is 150 cash. And you know those good easy win forms I tell you about every week and a lot of the hits we have. Uh, you know, uh, first is 150, second's 100, third 75, and fourth is uh 50, and then 5th and 6th place are going to get t-shirts, and you also have to put in the final time, you think. Uh, weather report's pretty good down there in Baltimore, so come on over to Winning Ponies. You don't have to uh, be a member. It is free from anybody that wants to participate, and I told you about those easy win forms while you were on the site. Might want to take a look at them. I've uh, been hitting just all kinds of different tracks uh, this past week. Um, it was uh, just... Uh, Five days ago at Woodbine, we had a 20-cent super box that paid $2,059. And then over at Evangeline, 1918 for a $1 pick four. And then the following day at Gulfstream, we had a $1 super five key for 3100 And on the other side of America at Golden Gate, a 50-cent super five key paid $2,212. Those are the easy win forms. Easy to get them at winningponies.com. Well, uh, as you may have probably already heard, Jackie Louis Sayez is being suspended 15 days <clears throat> for the derby ride aboard Maximum Security. And uh, this is a story that's not going to go away anytime soon. So uh, the stewards uh, issued that decision um, on May 12th. And uh, it's uh, posted on their website. Uh, he can uh, 
appeal it if he wants to. He's currently riding at uh, at Belmont Park, and uh, you know if he wants to fight it, he can. Again, this isn't something that's just happened because it was the Derby or it was Luis Saez. Uh, I think it was more because of the severity uh, of the infraction that really eliminated a, several horses' chances in a chain reaction. Depends on how you see it. Probably ask our guests to uh, chime in on what, what they saw. Uh, but now it's, like I said, it's not going away. Uh, just two days ago, the lawsuit was filed by Gary and Mary West. They're seeking to have the disqualification of maximum security in the Derby 145 overturned. Um, I don't know that that can happen. Now, I know that back in the Dancer's Image Derby, that had to do with waiting for tests to come back from a lab. And back at the time, it wasn't some kind of snake venom or something. It was a commonly used drug called Butte, but I guess the horse's body didn't absorb it fast enough. And uh, there's a lot of stories have been written about this. But this is about a decision that was made uh, by racing officials. And I just kind of look at it as like, what, what's going to happen now? I mean, if, uh, you know, if your favorite player got fouled in the, the championship game and your team lost by two points, are you going to get to, uh, you know, bring that referee to court? Uh, same thing with, with football, soccer, you name it. You know, if a call by a, an official in a professional sporting event uh, is going to be challenged, what kind of crazy world are we living at? Sometimes you just got to suck it up and take it. Now, I have seen different views that their side of the story is uh, is putting forth, and you will see a very rank war of will uh, throughout most of the race. But again, I'm sure they're, they're showing certain scenes that they want you to see, and I'm sure that the uh, defense of the Churchill Downs will show you the scenes that they base their opinion on, and uh, they have to go by the rules of which they are given, and that's what they have done. But I'm not an attorney. I'm not a judge. Let's see how this plays out in court. But, wow, if it gets overturned, I can't imagine what's going to happen in professional sports with uh, team owners uh, taking uh, other teams to court or a referee to court to have you know the championship game overturned. Um, Again, Matt Bernier will be our first guest. I'm going to try to get him on as soon as we can, so I'm giving my producer a heads up if he can go to Matt a little bit early because we've got so much to uh, to talk about. And uh, until then, we're going to look at some of the races we looked at last week. And oh, oh, Ohio bred. Heaven has my Nikki. I'll be handing a championship trophy to her tomorrow at the Ohio Awards Banquet. She was the leading three-year-old in Ohio. Heaven has my Nikki went from flag fall to that's all at Belmont Park. Both Eric Wing and I picked her, and she came back a nice 1040 in a five-horse field. That's not too bad. Yeah, Kendra Karamooch put her on the lead, never looked back. Uh, I heard the paddock people kind of going, what the heck's a horse from Honing Valley doing here? How do we judge that race? Well, that was a public workout. You're going to hear about this, Philly. I don't know how far she's going to go up. That was a grade three, but really happy uh, for for Ron Pellucci. And uh, so, again, that was the uh, grade three vagrancy. Buckeye bread gets the job done. It was global campaign. 
in the Peter Pan, a race that often launches a couple Belmont horses. We'll see if they show up. And then it was Chad Brown's stable mates, Homer Reek and Competition of Ideas running one, two in the Beau Gay. And uh, the uh, the Man of War uh, went to Channel Maker with a big final eighth. Yeah, I see the strides on this horse. Channel Maker gets the job done for Bill Mott. Okay, I'll tell you what. I understand that Matt is with us, so we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, a gentleman you can see almost every day on your computers, Matt Bernier at DRF.com, one of the rising stars in the sports of handicapping, and uh, always a pleasure to have him on. Uh, yesterday, he was commenting about uh, the um, impact of the post positions of the Preakness, and then, of course, we'll be getting to the Preakness stakes, but before that, welcome to Winning Ponies. Matt Bernier, how you been? Thanks for having me back on. Well, anytime. Now, I tell you, we got to update your bio here because we're, we're still, we're, we're, you know, we're still looking at stuff that you did five years. I'm thinking about five years ago. I have you listed as a 25-year-old real estate agent. Would you please correct me for my audience on that? Yeah, uh, I'm fearful. I hate to say this, but in August I'll be 30, uh, so I'm running out of I'm running out of time with the 20s. Uh, but now working with the racing form, I've been with Daily Racing Form for just about five years now, almost on the nose. Um, it, it's been a great run so far. Do a number of things over there, whether it's doing video previews or doing podcasts or any of that kind of stuff, uh, and occasionally do some stuff over there with the folks at NBC with the racing. So um, the, the real estate is in the, the rear view. Unfortunately, the 20s are almost in the rear view as well, but 
I'm hanging on for a few more months. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You look good. You know, right now you you pretty much get smarter. When you hit that 60 plateau, I can tell you, all of a sudden the the, the playing field's not level anymore. But <laughs> you you just go ahead and enjoy the next couple decades. I think you'll do fine. You look like a guy that that keeps himself in shape. Well, listen, before we get over to the next couple of days at, at Pimlico, I'll probably be asking my guests this question for the next five years. <laughs> what was your read? on this year's Kentucky Derby? Well, I, I have to be honest with you. When it first happened, I, I tweeted as the inquiry was going on that I, I think any other day they would make a DQ. I could see it happening. I just would be stunned if they did it in the Kentucky Derby. And lo and behold, within about three minutes, um, they actually did it. And, you know, from my viewpoint of the entire thing, I think it was an egregious foul. I think it was pretty straightforward. Um, and I don't like that it seems like our bigger events are not necessarily called the same way that, that many other races would be. But I know there are people that on the flip side would argue there's no consistency in our daily races. So how can you make that kind of case? Um, the way that I viewed it is he committed a foul. I think it cost at least one, if not two horses, potentially better placings. I don't think it affected Country House really in the slightest. He happened to be the beneficiary of the whole thing. Is it a, does it leave a great taste in your mouth? No, but I think it was the correct call given the incident, given the way things, given the way things played out. I, I just I think if you don't call that, you're really sort of you're you're basically saying we're not going to call anything because he floated out four or five paths directly impeding a number of horses. It was it was dangerous too, and uh, how much of that was Tyler Gaffleoni's fault? We'll never know. Maybe he shouldn't have been where he was, but depending on the view you look at, and there's plenty of them out there, it does look like he goes from the two path to the four path pretty quick. And then uh, sees a horse coming on the inside and kind of decides, hey, I better go visit this horse for a while. Uh, I don't know. That's just my read on. I, I, I think that the... Um, that, that the ruling was correct, but the message was delivered wrong. I didn't know until I talked to John Court on Monday that he had claimed foul. Yeah, and I think that was part of the, the major issue. My biggest complaint with the entire situation, I, I know there are a number of people that, you know, like you say, first people see that, that Flavian Pratt is the one that claims foul, and, and that's all that's really put out there. But you're right, John Court also claimed foul on long-range toddy, and, and deservedly so. I think it cost him potentially a better placing. I don't know that he would have threatened to hit the board or anything like that, but he certainly could have finished better than he did ultimately. Um, to me, the, the, the bad look of the entire thing from an optics standpoint, whether you're in the business or you are, you know, John Q. Public, the person that watches one horse race a year, is that it took a jockey claiming foul or multiple jockeys claiming foul for them to, to look at it because if they had not claimed foul, more likely than not, they don't make a change, which completely, you know, sort of goes against the entire point of the thing. I, I just feel like you're at a point now where if you're a steward, depend, I don't care what, what jurisdiction you're in, do, you should just be proactive. It, even if it's a 10-second inquiry that you go and just say, we're going to take a look and make sure everything is okay, at least people look at it and say, well, you're doing your due diligence, as opposed to an instance like this, which would be bad enough, at the opener in the opener at Belmont tomorrow, but it's even it's a million times worse when it's on the biggest stage that there is in the Kentucky Derby. 
It is, and I don't know if that was one of the reasons that nobody thought to lean over and hit that inquiry sign, because you don't look at a race for 22 minutes unless you're making an inquiry into it, and I think that would have put some fires out, and I think the knowledge that John Court, that two jockeys had claimed foul, because I, I think, you know, Joe Sixpack sitting in his living room goes, country house? And when you go back and just look at country house, you go, how did, was this guy a part of it? You know what I mean? And you just, a, the regular you know, every, every first Saturday in May guy that watches the races is scratching his head. And whereas you go back, like you and I have, I'm sure, many, many times and looked at different angles and stuff, you go, yeah, something happened out there and it could have been damn dangerous. So anyhow, uh, I like your read. I, I'm in lockstep with you. Uh, it, it'll go on for a long time. As a matter of fact, <laughs> it's going to go on for about five years now that it's going in the court of law. But let's leave that behind us. I, I did want to get your view, though, Matt Bernier, from the Daily Racing Forum. And um, i be honest with you, I, I'm working on this awards banquet. I didn't have time to watch uh, your video on the impact of the post position draw, though I did see the statistic that War of Will drawing the inside post in back-to-back 20-horse and 13-horse fields was 260 to 1. Mark Cassie, if he had hair, be pulling it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about just, just snake bit as far as that's concerned, drawing the one hole. And, I, you know, the interesting thing for me is I understand it with the Kentucky Derby, the way the races run, that sort of stampede down by the stands for the first time. Everybody's going to try to come over. And with the one hole, you're essentially breaking, starting, running at the, the inside rail. So you're in a bit of a tough, uh, tough position. The Preakness, I, I think this is a lot to do about nothing. I, I don't think if this horse doesn't win or doesn't run well, I would be absolutely floored if it's because of the one hole. I happen to think it's a good position for War of Will in this spot. I actually said in a number of spots before the Kentucky Derby, I didn't have much of a, I didn't have a very good opinion in the Derby, but I said War of Will, I think he's going to win the Preakness because I could see him running well in Louisville, getting tired at the end of it. But for me, I effectively look at it and say the Louisiana Derby to me is a complete non-effort because he ended up getting injured that day. The, broke, uh, the uh, ground broke from underneath him, ended up coming out of it with a pulled muscle, I looked at the Kentucky Derby as his first start since the middle of February. I expected him to get tired down the lane. That's exactly what happened, not with, not even incorporating the whole controversy. I think he's going to be the best version of War of Will on Saturday afternoon. Uh, I will run to the windows at 4-1. to one. Uh, I like him a lot in here. I've seen him in the flesh a couple of times, and until then, I'd only seen him on television up through the Louisiana Derby. And you know, he was my Derby pick after the Risen Star. And when the gates opened in the Louisiana Derby, I thought, "Oh my God, we got another Barbaro on our hands. This is terrible." The way the ground broke from underneath him, and he, you know, just flattened out after that. But I'm telling you, man, he is one gorgeous thoroughbred horse. Uh, but he does always look like he's on the bit. I heard a rumor, but I'm handing. Holding my daily racing form PPs in my hand, there is nothing that says blinkers on. Do, do you know it, it, that, that he's definitely not putting blinkers on? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see anything as far as any kind of equipment change. I haven't seen that uh, anywhere as far as actual print is concerned. And, and to be honest, I think that's probably a good thing at this point. Again, I think the reason that he was as keen as he was early in the Derby because they needed to use him a little bit out of the gate to establish that early position. If this race plays out the way that I that I think it may end up playing out, Warriors charge the three horses, got some speed. I think they clear over and go. War of Will is naturally faster than a horse like Bourbon Moore drawn just to his outside. I have to be honest, I think he ends up taking up that similar pocket position, except he just doesn't have to use the horse early to get him there. 
I, I, who knows? Maybe I'll look like a fool Saturday night, but I think this thing could be an absolute blessing in disguise for these connections. Well, I don't want to put the kibosh on you, but he, as soon as they went under the line for the Derby, I said, War or Will will win the Preakness. I really felt yeah. that. Uh, you know, and like you said, the, he did have to have time off, and there were questions about the, you know, the Louisiana Derby. But when he came back and reeled off three straight bullets at Keeneland and Churchill, I'm like, hey, if this horse was unhealthy, you can't do that against the quality that you're working against pre-derby, you know, uh, at, at those two tracks. So, you know, and Cassie's not going to put, you know, a horse of this value, you know, in any situation that would be detrimental to his physical being. So uh, I, I just, I, I love the horse. And yeah, I, I saw what you saw. It looks like Warrior Charge is going to get it, but let's face it, you know, the, the, the horse has a, a maiden and an opt- and a, a optional claimer. And, and again, I'm sure a lot of people's eyes will go to improbable. And let's face it, Matt, you're judged by the company you keep. And after he, you know, reeled off his undefeated scheme there, uh, he got beat by long range toddy and a, you know, very uh, uh, tough rebel stakes. Then comes back, gets beat by a horse by the name of Omaha Beach, and then he's right into the Kentucky Derby. So I, I think he's a horse with a whole lot of upside. And I think when you look at, you know, the rest of this field, um, he's probably the major, you know, uh, upsetter if you want to call it that at five to two i guess he's the favorite um i think he's the major threat that's the word i'm looking for uh to uh, war of will yeah no I, I agree i look at it and say if you don't like war of will and you don't like improbable the two big horses you know i'm using air quotes coming out of the derby then you can make a case for almost anyone else in the race i would say bourbon war is sort of the the alternative for me outside of those two horses exiting the derby but um, I, I just, I, again, I, I'm going to basically fall on my sword with this one. I, I've liked War of Will for a long time. I said four weeks ago that he'd win this race before the, even the Kentucky Derby ran. I'm not going to change my tune now. I think everything's going to work out well for him. One other sort of, it's a bit of a convoluted comparison, but think about this. It's not dissimilar from Bravazo last year. Bravazo had a little bit of an incident in the Louisiana Derby. Something went wrong rounding the far turn. He entered that race on the heels of a nice win in the Risen Star, comes into the Kentucky Derby, puts in a nice middle move before getting tired, flattening out. What does he ultimately do in Baltimore? He nearly beats Justify. So I think War of Will is a better horse than Bravazo is. I think you're going to get a very, very strong effort from him Saturday. I love it. All right, Matt, I, I've got races uh, scattered all over my desktop here. I, I think one of the other races I was going to ask you to address, was it the Black-Eyed Susan? Did I ask you to look at that one? Yeah, Black-Eyed Susan and Dixie were the two. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Black Eyed Susan, I want to tell everybody, this is going to be part of the really solid Friday card there at Pimlico. And I'm sure if you go to drf.com, they'll be all over that like white on rice. Um, uh, these are three-year-old fillies. Obviously, the, the horses that ran in the Oaks felt like uh, they got some of their thunder taken out of them. So we're seeing some new three-year-old fillies uh, come to the stage. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, this isn't a race with any any superstars right now, anyway. I think a horse like Point of Honor, the eight horse, could eventually turn into one of the bigger three-year-old fillies in this division. I could see her doing some big things at Saratoga over the summer. But leading into this race here, I don't think she's got any tremendous edge on anyone. And I want a filly that I know. A mile on an eighth is really kind of in her wheelhouse. And maybe she's not the, the best-looking thing on paper. Uh, but I think the two off-topic for Todd Fletcher and Johnny V, I think there's reason to believe... She ran a little bit better in the Gazelle than maybe it looks at face value. The pace was very slow that day, always shopping. Her uncoupled stablemate going out with Pletcher and Manny Franco. 
she had a much more advantageous run of it. She was more forwardly placed. And I, I just frankly don't think off-topic enjoyed being in behind horses. Um, I'm hopeful that she works out a little bit of a better trip this time around with a little bit more pace. Second start off the bench, she is, uh, is a bit of a pet angle of mine from a handicapping standpoint. She's paired up career buyer speed figure tops of 78. I think that usually sort of precedes a forward move. If she moves up into the mid-80 range, she's got a big shot at 8-1 uh, to one on the morning line. Yeah, because, you know, looking at the buyers on paper, uh, mid-80s is about as good as you get, and most of these horses uh, are, are in the, the, the 70 buyer range. But uh, this, this is a horse that seems to be progressing forwardly, and uh, certainly, like you said, now we're asking them to stretch out a little bit here in a mile and an eighth. So we've got the uh, the one three finishers in the Gazelle and the three four uh finishers in the Gulfstream Park Oaks, and then you've got some people, fingers crossed, some local heroes. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. You've got the, the horses coming into that Weber City miss. I think they're both talented fillies, our super freak in Las Setas, but boy, I'm just not convinced the ad- additional ground helps a horse like Las Setas as well as her running style. She figures to be very forwardly placed, if not trying to clear off. And, you know, you brought up that Gulfstream Park Oaks. I think people are going to look at it. And, again, I, I've made it clear. I think Point of Honor is very, very good. Cookie Dough, he has all the speed figures. I'm, I'm convinced she is much better going shorter. I think she's going to be a nice seven furlong filly, one-turn miler. Um, I just think this distance is a little bit far for her. And another, I think, logical contender that I have major distance questions about, face value, Brill shouldn't have any issue with a mile and an eighth. You look at the races that she's run as the distances get longer, those are kind of when her spotty efforts show up. Her two best races have come at five and six furlongs. I wonder if she'll be another one that's better off going shorter when it's all said and done. Well, we'll find out. She's got a pedigree that says she should be able to get it. She was a million-dollar baby, trained by Jerry Hollendorfer. Those are all pluses, uh, but you make a good point. If you want to look uh, at her best races, they sure weren't around uh, stretched-out two-turn races. Well, Matt, the other race that you took the time to look at for us was uh, uh, the uh, the Dixie. I guess the weather report is uh, going to be pretty good. Uh, for uh, the Baltimore area over the weekend. Now, uh, we're going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Got a pretty sizable field here. Uh, but, man, I, you know, it, it looks to me like the one to beat, and, you know, I'm master of the obvious, is, is Catholic boy. But, uh, boy, is, is that post position going to hurt him? But And then I went back and I looked at the Travers last year, and he broke from the 10 post to the 10-horse field and drew off by four lengths. Yeah, Catholic Boy, definitely the horse to beat. This race goes through the outside two horses, Catholic Boy and Inspector Lindley. If you want the informed horse, it's probably Inspector Lindley. If you want the horse, it's probably just the most naturally talented. It's Catholic Boy. Um, I'm not going to try to talk anyone away from those two. I think they're the most logical horses in the race. If you're so inclined to get a little bit creative, and you've got to get a little bit creative with this horse, um, the number eight, Flash Phelps, feels like he's 100 years old. He's only eight years old. <laughs> um, he's only raced 22 times. He's had a, the connection has had a whale of a time keeping him on the racetrack, but the big move and the big thing for me with Flash Phelps, you go through and take a look at every time he has gone second start off of a layoff. He has come forth with a very, very strong effort, no matter what the distance, no matter what track it is. I bring up the track because he's two for three over the Pimlico turf. He's never been out of the money in three starts at Pimlico on their grass. The distance, I would prefer him at a flat mile as opposed to a mile and a sixteenth. But he's, it's not like he's incapable at eight and a half furlongs. If you want to get creative outside of those top two, maybe use Flash Phelps underneath, or maybe even want to give him a look outright to win this thing. 
Uh, I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility that he fires one more big shot. Well, it certainly has the uh, the the horse for course angle going going for him. Uh, eight starts over. I mean, three starts over the Pimlico Turf. Two wins and a third, so the horse certainly can handle the greens word down there. We're talking with Matt Bernier. You can see him just about every day on DRF.com. Matt, what are we going to see the next couple of days up there with your you and your partners, uh, Mike Beers and Dan Ellman? Yeah, we just wrapped up taping this week's edition of Out of the Gate. That's going to be up on video.drf.com as well as the Racing Forms YouTube channel. Uh, earlier today, I re- recorded my preview edition of my podcast, the Matt Bernier Show. All sorts of good stuff, places that you want to go and you need to know about, video.drf.com, as well as the Daily Racing Forms YouTube channel. And uh, I'm over on Twitter as well, at Bernier underscore Matt. Absolutely. Well, Matt, as always, I greatly appreciate your time. I kind of save you for some of the bigger races, uh, and our audience loves it. So uh, best of you. Say hi to Dan for me, and uh, I I hope you cash some tickets uh, in Baltimore this weekend. Always good talking to you, John. Good luck this weekend. All right, I will. Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. Again, where you can get it straight from the horse player's mouth. You go to drf.com. Uh, it does an outstanding job. I'm happy to be able to get him on the show here. I'm also very happy to get our next guest on, Tom Lamara. He's no stranger to the show. So we're going to take a quick break. I'm John Engelhart, and you're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. 
All right, and with me right now is none other than Tom Lamara. He's won numerous awards uh, for his journalism in racing, and uh, <coughs> excuse me very much. Uh, we're just talking about allergies. <laughs> um, uh, Tom has kind of uh, moved, as you know, he was the news editor for the Blood Horse uh, magazine for many years, uh, moved, yeah, I'll say a little bit closer to his and his wife Karen's home, and uh, he's on the Maryland circuit now, he's kind of in a new role, and uh, so Tom, we definitely got to update your bio too, I just told Matt Bernier we got to update his, uh, but but either way, he is in the area, so he's very familiar with the tracks and the horses, and with no further ado, Tom Lamara, how how are you, my friend? Hey, John. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. The, the weather good. finally broke, good. you know. So uh, well, we're all I right. think it'll be okay for the next couple of days, minus a couple of showers, too. But, you know, around here, you know, they say it's going to be nice, and then it, it, it does storms. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But <laughs> I've been watching the map myself, and I think generally it's going to be pretty good. Uh, you didn't miss anything at the Derby, man. That was god-awful as far as the uh, the weather. It was just like God was turning on and off a water faucet, and he only turned it on when yeah. I had to be outside. So, <coughs> you know, th- right. that, move, yeah. that moves on. Now, listen, Tom, I, uh, I, I want to ask you a little bit of a de- different leading question than I've asked my other guests that's concerning the Derby. I, I want to ask you... What the heck's going on at Baltimore? First of all, I think you lost your mare down there. She she might be behind bars by the time they run the next Preakness. But the question is, uh, what's be where will the next Preakness be run, and what are the politics that are being played in the potential of it uh, leaving Pimlico? Well, uh, next year I can't imagine it not being outside of Pimlico. Because, um, you know, the, uh, the time factor of having to get Laurel Park ready. But not only that, you know, th- uh, my guess is this will drag on for a while. There are the politics. Uh, I think when you read stories, I think the politics of this whole thing may be underrated. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, look, look. Let's be real here. It's perfectly obvious that, you know, that legislators uh, uh, who represent Baltimore City or Baltimore County or the people who work for Baltimore City do not want to lose the Preakness. And I'm sure they're going to I'm sure that they're going to do everything that they can to try to keep it there. So I, I, you know, uh, legislation was introduced in the last session. Uh, it died. It died on the last day that would have um, that would have allowed the Stronic Group to get uh, RIFRA money, which is racetrack facility renewal account. I hope I got that right. Money from slot machines um, with an added boost from the Maryland Economic Development Corps to increase the amount or match it. Uh, you know, I, well, really, I think it comes down to what happens in the next session, but more importantly, what happens between now and then to see if everybody can come to the table to decide what to do. Um, you know, my own personal opinion is Laurel, the Laurel project needs to move forward, but we needs to be redone and reopened as a training center. 
And if the money's available, uh, Pimlico needs to be rebuilt and just have, you know, one or two short meets, one of which would be a Preakness meet. Uh, there was a story in the Baltimore Sun a few days ago, I think, where some former Maryland Jockey Club people pointed out that it doesn't need to cost $400 million, that it could cost $150 million to redo Pimlico to accommodate a very, very short Preakness meet. So we'll see what happens. It's just, it's creating a lot of turmoil. And what, what seems to get lost in the equation is that, you know, um, the reason that Maryland racing has grown is because of a 10-year agreement between the horsemen, the breeders, and the Maryland Jockey Club. And the Racing Commission sanctioned it. The Racing Commission is involved in this. The legislature is involved in this. And that kind of, uh, nobody seems to pay attention to that. But, you know, everybody needs to be on the same page here because it's worked. And uh, whatever that same page may be in the future still needs to be decided. But my guess is the Preakness is going to be at Pimlico next year despite its condition. And uh, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. No. <laughs> well, you know, once you get politics involved, nobody knows. Uh, I, I did see some drawings and a lot of statements about it, you know, totally doing a, a, a new facelift and, and being a multi-use facility. And during the off season, maybe have soccer fields in the infield and then making part of the outside, uh, you know, uh, you know, shopping and restaurants and, and you know. Uh, right bars and things like that, which I thought was kind of cool. It's like, yeah, do that and let's have some racing and you never know. It might be a way to, you know, get some more people to turn their head and say, hey, there's a racetrack just 50 yards away. Let's check it out. Uh, so, you know, sure there's a lot of options on the table. Yeah, the, the you know, the standing authority report from what I read was kind of like top end, but but it got into like uh, like ripping up the the turf and dirt courses and repositioning them that would allow more development. I personally, I I don't know if that's a good idea. Uh, I've seen this happen before in a track in Ohio, and I'm just not sure that that you want to rip up what's already there. You just kind of need to build around it. If in fact you want it to remain a racetrack, if you don't want to don't want it to remain a racetrack, then you just rip everything up. That's fine. You know, I guess that's what they're going to do. But no, I think that the existing footprint could be, could be developed in such a way where it wouldn't cost $400 million. And I do believe that, but we'll see what happens. Uh, it's, you know, I don't own the places. If I own the places, I would approach it a different way, but I don't. So, nope. you know, Neither of us do. We can only speculate. And again, you've got politics involved and you're going to have a new mayor there soon. So who knows what he or she uh, might want to do? We don't know. So, you're right. We do not know. Well, listen, the action starts fast and furious uh, tomorrow, Tom. Uh, as we spoke uh, briefly, actually, I think we texted each other. Uh, really good undercard on, on what it's called Black Eyed Susan Day, I guess, to many. And uh, to many, it's kind of like you got the Derby, you got the Oaks, you got the Preakness, you got the Black Eyed Susan. It's for three-year-old fillies, but I don't know if you heard me talking with Matt. Certainly, uh, I don't, 
at this point in time, we don't see any superstars of tomorrow in there. So it really leaves us with uh, a mixed bag and maybe some betting opportunities. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about the race, uh, you know, I think it's pretty wide open. Um, I think um, uh, the Pletcher uh, Philly always shopping. Uh, who has won a couple of races back to back at a mile and eighth looks pretty good. Um, the uh, local filly, uh, La Cetas, you know, I'll talk about her because, you know, I've seen her races at Laurel because my office is there, you know, and I see the races every day. And she's very interesting. She continues to move forward. I really, you know, when you move into a race like the Black Eyed Susan, of course, the competition gets a lot tougher. But what's interesting is, um, you know, she's a half sister to a uh, cord maker who is in, who is uh, scheduled to run in the Pimlico special and cord makers, two races at one and one eighth miles. Uh, he's just really looked good. He's actually won both of them, I believe. And, uh, so I, you know what, um, She's 15 to 1 in the morning line, but you know how local money goes and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if she'll be 15 to 1, but, um, you know, she's been training well, according to the connections, and uh, she generally likes to run either on the lead or close to the pace. It's a nine-horse field. It's a long run to the first turn. Um, you know, if Cordmaker can run really well in a mile and eighth, I, you know, it's quite possible that she will. And... So I'm looking at always shopping in uh, Las Setas. So, well, the other thing I noticed about Las Setas is that uh, she's a granddaughter of Galileo, a horse I've loved since day one, and I've been proven uh, since that, even though he went to stud a decade ago. Uh, so there's no doubt that in the bloodlines, uh, she has the uh, abilities to get the distance. And, and 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 after that, I think it's anybody you throw a dart at, you know? Uh, you know, Cookie Dough uh, is going to set the pace, but can she go on to a mile and an eighth? There's a big question there, but I think she's going to get a lot of play with, uh, you know, Irad Ortiz in the, in the saddle. And the other thing is, back to your Las Sedas, I don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about Catherine Voss, but she could train a horse. She's at 31% for the year. Yeah, uh, oh, uh, oh, no, she's a, uh, <laughs> she's more than a competent trainer. And, um, y- you know, um, Heavy in Toledo is, is riding the filly, which he has. I think he's ridden her in, um, yes, he's ridden her in all of her starts. And, um, you know, Merlin jockeys can, eh, Merlin jockeys are a little bit underrated. And, and, and uh, I'll tell you what, watching them every day, they're, you know, they're extremely competent and, when they have the horse, I think, you know, they do extremely well. And when they don't, they do extremely well. And uh, I think that that's a credit to them. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't really, look, you know, I, I guess you could argue that it's a wide open race, but uh, I don't know. I, uh, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm looking at always shopping in Las Vegas. I think that those two, um, you know, have a really good chance in this race. All right. We're talking with Tom Lamara down there in Maryland. Tom, what's your official position since I don't have your bio updated? <laughs> well, I still don't know. <laughs> um, but let no, 
No, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I do, uh, it's kind of multiple things. I do communications uh, for the Maryland Thoroughbred Horsemen Association, some social media stuff, uh, managing editor of THARacing.com, uh, which is the umbrella group for the MTHA and five other horsemen's groups in the Mid-Atlantic in Chicago. And I do uh, some joint project work for the MTHA and the Maryland Jockey Club. So I guess that's the best way to describe it. Well, no wonder you don't know. You get paychecks from three different entities. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, listen, let's move yeah. on to the Pimlico Special, a, a race we know uh, ha- has a great history. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that it's worked its way down to a grade three, quite frankly, $300,000 on the line. But uh, it, it's it's brought together kind of a, a field that's really hard to ferret out. It even looks like the odds maker had a hard time doing it. But I think you already tipped your hand on where you're going in the Pimlico special. I see the name Cord Maker at 12 to 1. You know, I really do like the horse. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've watched him for uh, most, if not all, of his races, I guess. At this point, and um, you know he's uh, he's done well sprinting, uh, which he did last time. But um, I think his best races have been when he's gone a mile and an eighth. This was a mile and a quarter. It used to be a mile and three sixteenths. And the race filled up really well. You know, there's fourteen entered, uh, which is fantastic. I think this is awesome. Uh, you know, for racing nowadays. Um, but right. this race. This race kind of reminds me of the Charlestown Classic uh, in uh, late April. Um, you know, it didn't draw any kind of standout, and the Charlestown Classic, you know, was won by a West Virginia bred that was based at Charlestown. And um, that's, that's no slight on him, because I think that he's a really, really good horse. Uh, he's just, you know, he ventured out of Charlestown once when he was much younger, he's He's progressed a lot. And, um, you know, so I don't think there was any embarrassment for horses to have finished behind him. I think there's, I don't know, three or four horses in this race who ran behind him. Uh, But I don't know. Um, I don't see it. Like you said, you know, it's wide open. I don't see any standout. But uh, I'm just going to stick with the horse because I've been watching Court Maker, and I think he he likes going longer, and this might be a good spot. Victor Carrasco, um, you know, was named again on him. He's ridden him extremely well. And, you know, outside of that, I, I, I just don't see, I just can't get excited about anybody else. Maybe you can, you know, you can explain why, but I can't. Tom, so. I can't, so I'm going to leave it at that. So uh, I think I'm going to wait till they're, they're going to post and take a good look at the odds. I mean, I think the favorite in here might be five to one. You're to blame. I mean, uh, when when your handicapper can only get it down to that, that that says something about the field. But right. there's 14 horses, and you can only spread your points around making odds uh, so much. Right. So for those out there uh, that are looking for a good betting race, it, it could be the historic Pimlico Special. Well, let's move on to the uh, key race of the weekend, the Grade One Pimlico. There will be no triple crown this year boy that's that's got to be uh you know everybody the, the old saying used to be the biggest race at naira every year 
is the Preakness Stakes. <laughs> and, the reason, <laughs> and the reason is if the Derby winner wins the Preakness, <laughs> you know, uh, on track, off track, every seat taken, prices jacked up. You can't get you can't get into Belmont. Well, I'm sure both these uh, tracks took a little bit of a punch in the stomach when they found out that neither. Uh, country house uh, or maximum security both that would have lent you know uh, you know a strong interest in the race if not necessarily an official triple crown yet we've got five years of court appearances before we'll know um but anyhow it is a it's, it's a grade one it's a classic and uh you know nobody's dodging anybody in here um I, i've already stated on air who, who i like you probably didn't come on early enough to hear it so i'll let you go first and then i'll come in with my obvious well solution. i'd rather hear who you like first <laughs> well all right Tom. we're friends i'll tell you i did not hear uh, you so yeah yeah i who do you like i told everybody after the derby hey, this is before all the brouhaha that uh war will is going to win the preakness um i okay. think you know all I, right my uh, my heart sunk to my stomach at the Louisiana Derby start. I thought maybe he was done. Then when I saw what Cassie did with him, you know, stressing him in those workouts to make sure that that muscle pull was fine. Um, and like any horse that's had a little bit of a layoff, he comes back in the Derby. He's right up in it. As we know, he came within an inch of going down and uh, ended up eighth. But nonetheless, was making a good run into the turn. So he got something out of that. Uh, certainly showed that he's not afraid of traffic trouble. Uh, he, he, when you see him in person, Tom, he is uh, just an amazing uh, picture of a th- what a thoroughbred should look like. He's beautiful. And he was my derby horse before the Louisiana Derby. There were just too many questions because I watched him race in all those races down at the fairgrounds. And God, he was awesome. So uh, War of Will, I mean, again, a race where the odds are spread around. He's four to one. A lot of people are going to see the name Bob Baffert on Improbable and maybe move to that horse. But So in answer to your question, who do I like? War of Will. All right. Well, um, you know, I I uh, checked them off. Um, you know, I, I've to be honest with you, I I, I still haven't quite decided on what our, what I'm going to do in this race. But there are a few horses that I will talk about that I think have a um, have a you know legitimate shot here. Um, I'm not going to talk about Improbable, uh, who is the favorite. Um, I'm not a fan of the horse. Uh, let me start uh, in post order here. Uh, Warriors Charge uh, really intrigues me. Um, you know, he's won his last couple races at Oakland, and and um, you know, Brad Cox decided to run the horse in this race. Um, and he's got, you know, he's got he's got enough early speed here, I think, to be well positioned, and uh, you know, I think he's got a lot of upside. Uh, the Merlin bred always mining, you know, I've seen this horse race many times. He's won six in a row and, you know, um, you know, when it comes to betting, you you don't want to talk about a feel good story, but you know, honestly, you know, this horse, you know, I think it's more than a feel good story. I think that the horse is absolutely legitimate. Um, you know, um, the jockey, uh, stays with him. Centeno continues to ride him. He's riding him in this race, which I think is a good call because 
The horse clearly gets along with him. Last time he raided a little bit early, he made a move. And, um, you know, he always looks like he has plenty left. He gets, you know, much lesser. But uh, I don't think that a move three sixteenths is a problem for the horse. It's just a matter of, you know, how good he is. Um, win, win, win. I, you know, I, I wasn't expecting him to come back from the Derby. He didn't get the best of trips. He had a bad post. Not the best of trips. Uh, he drew 13, but you know what? Um, once again, you know, um, you know, jockey Julian Pimentel stays with him. Uh, I think that, you know, that he absolutely has a shot here because I, again, I, this is another race like the Pimlico Special. I just don't see a standout. And um, Bodie Express, still a maiden, but, um, you know, I, you know, he did run into a little bit of trouble in the Derby. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that w- look, nothing in here would surprise me, but those are the four horses that I'm looking at um, in some order. I'm not sure how I would even bet it, um, but, you know, so... Well, Tom, I, 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 do think- I know over the years you've always been a huge supporter of, shall I say, the the little guy or girl. I read a really interesting story on uh, Kelly Rubley, and I didn't realize she grew up near me uh, in upstate New York. And, you know, read, her, read about her horsemanship and the fact that the day her parents put her on a horse, she said, Mom and Dad, you're in trouble because this is what I'm doing <laughs> the rest of my right. life. Right. Yeah. Pulaski, New York. Yeah, really. No, um, you know, she has multiple clients and, um, you know, she frequently races in Maryland because she's based at Fairhill and, um, now her, her horse was fire. Uh, you know, I've got to say it. And, um, this one here, um, the one in the Preakness might be a special horse and, um, you know, the, he is a Maryland bred, so. There is a bonus involved in here. Oh, um, really? You know, a pretty substantial bonus for the uh, the owner and the breeder for a Maryland bred. Um, yeah, it was part of legislation passed a couple years ago or last year or something. So, yes. And, and um, you know, she, she passed on the Derby, which in retrospect was probably a great idea. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he got a, uh, you know, he got a win and you're in through the... Um, Tessio. Uh, I forget the race. It was at Laurel, but yeah, he won the race at Laurel and he got in. So maybe, you know, maybe it's something that's just kind of meant to be, you know, maybe the cards will fall to him. I don't know. I know, but. I know as a writer, you would eat that up. Well, Tom, we've gone as far oh, as we can go. Story. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Say hi to Karen for me. And uh, will, ho- hopefully you can find some elbow room uh, at the Pimlico bar before the weekend's over. thanks man i appreciate it all right Uh, all right we've been uh uh talking with uh, tom lamar i guess i could say from the maryland jockey club because he wears a lot of hats don't forget though over at winning ponies we got free money for you 150 if you uh, come out with the top three horses or are the closest one in the Preakness Stakes. If you're second, you get 100 winning pony points. Third, 75. Fourth, 50. Fifth and sixth, we're going to give you some swag and the closest final time will get a cap. That's free. It's at winning ponies. Uh, you, you can uh, you can come over and uh, right up to about an hour before uh, post at uh, the Preakness Stakes. So uh, feel free to join us. Pull down the easy win forms. want to thank Matt Bernier. 
want to thank Tom Lamara. want to thank my man Josh, who survived a death-defying uh, auto accident that was not his fault, but he's back in the producer's chair. Good to have him there. I'm John Englehart. When you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.